What is going on, everyone? This is Jake with Exodus. On this week's episode of The Land Podcast, we have a great, great episode with Brian from the Habitat Podcast. Brian was just on Trail Cam Radio, and they talked about a lot of the more Habitat side of uh, what they do and their episodes and content and projects that they do. But this episode is all about how Brian bought his first piece of ground and what it turned into in about 13 years. So it's a very inspiring story. I think it is perfect for anyone that is looking to get into that first farm. His first farm was 25 acres and it led into something really impressive, honestly. So you get to hear that whole story, how he did it, what were some tips that he would pass along to someone else and what would he do the same. And just, we hope you guys enjoy it. This is the essence of a conversation of why we started this podcast so we hope you guys enjoy it as always if you head over to the description there is a link tree link and all the resources are there so if you want to sign up for the free book if you want to sign up for additional resources all that is in that link so all you have to do is go there and also go over and check out the habitat podcast with jared and brian so anyways let's go ahead and get right into it All right, we're live with Land Podcast, and this is this is the first video podcast I've ever done, ever. Actually, I take that back. I recorded one uh, this week with the Whitetail Legacy guys, but in terms of uh, of hosting, first time ever. But I have Brian here on a Friday afternoon, right before a long weekend. Man, I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this because I'm sure, uh, well, I guess it's 4.30 where you're at. This is probably one of the last things you want to do. No, it's all good, man. The festivities probably won't get kicked off till tomorrow and Sunday. So yeah, just uh, hanging out with the family and just trying to get a few things done around the house before the big weekend. Yeah. It, uh, so do you guys have any plans for the long weekend other than just catch up and hang out? My sister-in-law has an in-ground pool, so that's usually the spot for the 4th of July. So I'm sure we'll be over there cooking out and getting a little swimming in. Yeah. Isn't that the best way someone else has a pool that way you yes. can come and go as you want? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. That's uh, that's always exciting. But so Brian, you were on the trail cam radio podcast here really recently. You guys made the the trip from Pennsylvania over to our office. Just appreciate that. It was a fun conversation. And so now we're bringing you on to the other podcast here. And this one's the land podcast. And as we were kind of just talking here briefly prior, it's a this is a series that I'm very passionate about of basically showing that anyone can buy ground if they prioritize it and make it a point, make it a priority. And to talk to people who have normal jobs, like normal lives, they're not fourth generation farmers. Like to me, it's just, there's a a misconception and everyone thinks that they struck the lottery or they hit the DNA lottery. (laughs) And I couldn't agree more. And I think talking to people that make it happen is inspiring to me and hopefully inspiring to other people that are sitting here like, man, how do I get there? It seems so difficult to, to get to that goal. What do I need to be doing? So yeah, I appreciate it. Brian, just tell me a little bit about yourself from Pennsylvania. I'll let you go from there. Yeah. From Western Pennsylvania, uh, just outside of Pittsburgh, just a little bit West between Pittsburgh and the Ohio line. Uh, I grew up on the East side of the city in the suburbs, Uh, took a job out here, about 25 years ago and ended up on this side of town and uh, been in Pennsylvania my whole life, except for a stint in the United States Air Force and uh, just a great place to raise a family and a lot of hunting tradition here. Yeah. And uh, so how long were you in the Air Force? 
Uh, I was in the Air Force for, I signed up for four, but mm-hmm. I ended up getting out early because I got accepted to the police academy here in Pennsylvania. That's exciting. Yeah. And, and you've been a, a police officer ever since? Yeah, for 27 years. It's hard to believe time's gone that fast, but uh, getting towards the downhill slope of the career now. Man, 27 years of law enforcement. I'm sure you've you've seen a lot. You've, you've seen the industry evolve, I'm sure. Um, and so at, I went to school at Western Illinois University, and there's a really big law enforcement program there. And um, I had many classmates that ended up going in that profession. I was like, I didn't. I couldn't do it. I have nothing but the utmost respect and admiration for people that take that line of work, but I, I'm not cut out for it. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So 27 years as a police officer, um, I guess it's kind of interesting here. Cause I guess it, here in Illinois, you have the suburbs of Chicago police income and some of those folks, you know, have really healthy incomes. And then you have more rural areas too. Right, how would you, right. how would you probably say the department that you're in? Is it more suburb or is it more rural or somewhere in between? Well, we're somewhere in between now. When I started here, we had about uh, maybe 15, 20 family farms and they've all slowly turned into housing plans over the last 25 years. So uh, it's, it's still not quite suburb, suburb. There's tons of uh, green space around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this buck over my right shoulder here is 130 inch Pennsylvania buck. I killed it just right down the road here three years ago. Nice. So pl- plenty of nice deer, still plenty of space. So uh, great great place to work and live for sure. Is I guess uh, do you love Western Pennsylvania? Because or is is that where you were born and raised as well? Yeah, I was born and raised here. Actually. Yeah. Whenever I went to the Air Force, uh, it was my first time out west. I got stationed in North Dakota for a short time and fell in love with the West. Uh, my grandfather actually grew up in Wyoming, so I'd heard some stories from him growing up and, and how it was out there. He met my grandmother in the Marines, who was from Pittsburgh. That's how they ended up setting yeah. roots down here. And and uh, I was never coming back, to be honest. After being out west, I thought, I'm going to stay out here. Yeah. And then you ended up coming back. I, I mean, gosh, I couldn't imagine uh, North Dakota, especially there's, there's those Dakotas. There's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different species there. Uh, it's Absolutely. a really cool area. Yeah. yeah beautiful country. And it, it's incredible how much it shifts from the Eastern side of those States to the Western side of the States. You can get into just about everything. Yeah. Was that Fargo, North Dakota? Minot With- Air Force Base in Minot. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Is there one in Fargo? Uh, I know there's one in, uh, I think it's called Grand Forks. Okay. I don't know if there's one further south in Fargo or not. I don't okay. think so. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So got out of the Air Force, got into law enforcement. And then I assume, tell us a little bit about kind of like your your hunting evolution, where you're hunting public ground, private land, and kind of like how did that lead into you eventually wanting to buy a piece of ground? Yeah, so I started out hunting public land with my dad. He started taking us uh, to the game lands. Pennsylvania has what's called state game lands, and there's hundreds of them around the state. And uh, they vary in size depending on the area, but um, he always had a few that he liked. And my dad was more about spending time with us outdoors, you know, whether we're fishing, camping, hunting. Um, he was just as happy to go lean against a big tree and go to sleep as long as we were all together. So. It was kind of fun having evolution of getting more into it and becoming a bow hunter. 
Mm-hmm. And then I kind of got to teach him some things and, you know, do a lot of different hunting with him that he never did before. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting how it works is a way to get all his uh, children together kind of, and uh, go out there and chase, chase some animals. So I guess that we've traveled through some of Pennsylvania and some of the, some of the parts of the state are gorgeous. I haven't spent a ton of time in Pennsylvania, but I can see uh, the ample amount of opportunities that are out there for anyone that wants a, a bit of an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, a nice mix of terrain. I mean, you can get up into some bigger mountain ranges. Uh, what we call them mountain ranges here, you, they'd be nothing compared to out West, but mm-hmm. um, there's some uh, big expanses up in the national forest. That's about two hours North of me. Um, you can get into some open flat farm ground to the Northwest, you know, closer over to where you guys are at on the, mm-hmm. the PA border with Ohio. So yeah, it's got a, it's got a nice mix of different areas depending on what you like to get into. Yeah. That's always cool to have diversity in your somewhat of your backyard or at least within an sure. hour or two drive. So you ended up hunting, uh, some state ground and then tell me about what kind of led up to you actually buying a piece of ground from the time that you decided you wanted to buy some, how long until after you ended up actually purchasing a piece? Yeah. So I started to get back into traditional archery, uh, probably the late nineties. Um, there's a lot of big traditional archery shoots around the area between Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. And I got to be friends with a couple of guys from Ohio and they would show me pictures of these bucks that they were killing over there. And, uh, one fellow had his own property. I think it was like a hundred some acres in Harrison wow. County. And we got to become good friends. And he said, Hey, if you ever want to come over to Ohio, you know, I could use some help with some food plots and hanging stands and things. If you wouldn't mind giving me a hand, I'd, I'd be glad to give you permission to hunt. So I jumped on that opportunity and just going from, you know, Pennsylvania has at the time close to a million hunters. Man. So there's a lot of competition and uh, at that time, I think we had almost 400,000 bow hunters in the state, which was more than the state of Ohio had total hunters. So, wow. so going over there was a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So you headed down there and you helped him with his lease and fell in love with the uh, more opportunities in Ohio when it came to whitetails? Yeah. And just, just the different age class over there, the different yeah. mentality of, of hunting and uh, just the opportunity to see some deer that we don't get to see that very often now it's changing in pa it's gotten a lot better yeah since the antler point restrictions and things but uh back then it was a big difference yeah i always uh we uh, do a lot of content with steve shirk and some of the deer he he shares and posts are man are you sure that's pennsylvania because holy cow a ton of giants so unreal so you ended up helping this guy and you hunted on that whatever hundred acre farm in ohio and then did he end up talking you into buying a piece in the neighborhood or, or how did that happen Sort of. Yeah. He, he was a big influence with that. He was, um, buying real estate since he was a young man. I think he mm-hmm. bought his first farm when he was 19 or 20. Wow. So he said, it's a, a really good opportunity to get into the market and you don't have to start really big. Mm-hmm. So I just, the wheels started turning. And, um, the other thing you could hunt on Sundays, which we still yeah. can't do in Pennsylvania, if you can believe that. So antiquated. <laughs> so crazy. So that, that was a big uh, factor also. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. And then, so you, this, this gentleman had probably, how old was he when you, when you, uh, ended up meeting him and, and hunting down there? So if uh, you started he started buying pieces 19. Yeah. 
He was probably in his late twenties, early thirties at the time. Okay. So he's been in the game for probably 10 years, right? Probably right. a few transactions underneath his belt. And then, um, so did you end up buying a piece off of him or did you start shopping in that area after you kind of learned the deer neighborhood? Yeah. So I started shopping, a uh, couple of criteria. I wanted to be within like an hour and a half, uh, two hours probably would have been the max, but hour and a half would have been, uh, preferable, you know, just so you can get down there in a reasonable time. If you got to mm-hmm. run down for the day to do anything, um, didn't really have any County specific cause the, the areas that I was looking at close to Pittsburgh, you can get within an hour and a half. They're all pretty well, decent counties. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, not the giant, uh, golden triangle areas per se, but still mm-hmm. plenty of big deer to chase. Got it. So it had to be within a, within that half hour, hour and a half time frame. And then what was the size of parcel that you were looking for at the time to, as a starter piece? I was trying to get somewhere between 25 and like 40 acres. That, yeah. that was my budget at the time. Uh, property was going anywhere. I guess the average was probably like 1500 to 2000 an acre wow. back then. Jeez. Sure. So, uh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the finances of that too. So did you, how long did it take to end up saving to purchase a piece or did you already have a, a nest egg or are you naturally a saver? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I had a little bit of money put away, uh, thinking about it for a few years, trying to come up with an idea of how to go about it. And, um, a lot of my friends and, you know, to each their own, I got buddies that'll buy a new truck every three years and, I was driving an old Suburban, you know, yep. had 150,000 miles on it. I've just fixed it when I needed to fix it. And instead of making a car payment, I was stashing that three, 400 bucks every month away until mm-hmm. I had a nice down payment for something. Got it. So you basically it was rooted in the sacrifice of driving an older vehicle and sure. uh, knowing you don't have a vehicle payment too, of if once I save up the down payment and I keep driving what I have it down the the car payments probably equivalent to what the land payment would be or pretty close to it absolutely so would you say that was the biggest one of the biggest factors to actually get into buying your first piece of ground was simply prioritizing it over a vehicle vehicle expense yeah 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 because when i was younger in my early 20s i liked my brand new trucks (laughs) so that was kind of tough to let go of but you know, things change, you get older, you mature and, and yeah. start thinking about what's important to you and, and making sacrifices to make it happen. Man, that's cool. Yeah. It, it's an easy trap to fall into. Honestly, as you make more money, as you, as you get older, naturally your career progresses and you think you start reserving all these different things. Um, and rightfully you can do whatever you want, but, uh, I guess to know what your goals are and that it's more realistic than, than what you think. That's crazy. I, I would say, vehicles are probably one of the biggest, uh, I guess, factors that keep people from buying a piece of ground. I would agree with that between, um, just the down down payment or, uh, constantly having the truck payment that's kind of keeping you from saving more money or, um, your debt to income ratio too. If you have a thousand dollar truck payment or $800 or whatever it is, that's, and you don't have a giant income, it's going to hurt your debt to income drastically. Yeah. And don't forget about the resale value as an investment. It's the worst thing you can do is buy a new vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And so you ended up saving up, you're kind of strategizing, getting ready behind the, behind the scenes there. And then tell us a little bit more about how you identified this property and decided, man, this is something I want to pursue. 
Sure. So uh, I started looking online. Uh, back then, there weren't a lot of dedicated land sites like some of the bigger ones you can yeah. get to now, like Realtor.com or Lands of Ohio, things like that. So it was kind of just searching. Uh, there was a paper in Eastern Ohio. I don't know if it's still out there. I think it is. It's called Farm and Dairy. Okay. They would have they'd have a lot of uh, different auctions and different pieces listed in that. I think you can still get those at Tractor Supply. Matter of fact. Nice. But uh, yeah, just trying to find something in the paper or on some of the limited websites. Yeah, that's I, that was before my time. Obviously, I was alive, but I wasn't looking for for ground now. We are so spoiled now between yes. all the syndication sites, and you can go type in all the parameters you want, and then what counties instead of having to drive around pick up local newspapers or call the the local agent that really has no business selling recreational ground, but you know gets it by default which I feel is probably easier to get better deals than possibly uh, things undervalued. I think so. Yeah. And and now it's kind of uh, leveled out the playing field for everyone. Cause as you know, buyers can come in from anywhere in the world, quite literally. And as they're looking, it's, it definitely levels the playing field. So I guess there was uh, if you're willing to do your homework, it was probably well worth it. And would you say that was kind of the situation that you ran into? Yeah, it was. And uh, kind of reminds me when people used to talk about, uh, like antiques and, and different things that people thought were worth a ton of money and eBay yeah. kind of killed oh, yeah. that for everybody. So it's kind of the same thing in the real estate market, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I happened to come across a piece in Guernsey County, which uh, reading up on was a pretty decent county for Pope and Young and, and Boone and Crockett entries. Um, mm-hmm. There's some public land there that got a lot of attention, but as far as private land, uh prices seemed to be decent, uh, was within an hour and a half from home. Mm -hmm. And I found this 25 acre piece. I think they had it listed somewhere around $40,000, high Mm thirties. And it was just a little bit out of my price range. Mm -hmm. And I called the guy and he was pretty firm on the price and I just kept an eye on it. I thought, well, we'll see what happens. I'll keep looking and, you know, maybe I could save up some more money if this doesn't sell. And then uh, probably about six or eight months later, it had dropped down to right around 30000 somewhere wow. around there. And uh, I thought, boy, this is kind of interesting. It's so like I, a 20% drop. 25. Sure. Yeah, that's a huge drop. So I drove out. I called the guy. I got the address. I drove out, took a look at it, walked it, and uh, had a lot of potential. It's kind of uh, creek bottom ground. Uh, not completely flat, a little bit of rolling terrain to it. But uh, I could see why it wasn't really moving fast. It wasn't, if you wanted to build a house there mm-hmm. or uh, have some type of homestead or something on it, it wouldn't have been ideal. So mm-hmm. anybody that was going to buy it would be doing what I was doing with it, just using it for recreation. Mm-hmm. How big was that farm again? Sorry. 25 acres. 25 acres. What do you think mm-hmm. that piece is worth today? <laughs> if you had it's, to guess. It's, it's worth six figures for sure. Yeah. Which is, and that was what year? 2007 is when I made the final purchase on it. Wow. So that, okay. I was, I was still picturing the nineties there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, how far was this from that hundred acre farm that you used to hunt too? Uh, probably about 45 minutes to an okay, hour, so I'd say. Gotcha. Okay. So in 2007, you identified this property, you went and walked it, and then you ended up scooping it up. Yeah. So I, I kept an eye on it 
it uh, for a little bit more. And I think it came down another couple of thousand. It was down into the high twenties or something like that. But I called the guy and he says, look, I'm the, I'm not only the listing agent, I'm also the owner. Ah. And I start, the wheels start turning. Like, I bet you he picked this up on a uh, estate sale or yep. some kind of, uh, trying to make you know, a quick buck. Yeah. Yeah. Cause back then the, like you said, the, the internet wasn't as diverse and we really couldn't find out as much as we can now. And, and some of the real estate agents and, and good for them, they were able to lock up some deals that maybe some other people wouldn't see. And, and mm -hmm. from, from talking to the guy, that's what it sounded like. Gotcha. So he was the listing agent and the owner. Mm -hmm. And then, so he kept on dropping it down, dropping it down. And then, so did you end up hiring a buyer's agent or do you just kind of represent yourself and, and let him be a dual agent? Just myself, because yeah. what had happened was I had the number I had in my head was 25,000. That's what mm -hmm. I had saved up. I didn't want to finance anything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, we got to talking and he says, look, I got to get 25,000 for it. <laughs> and I Perfect. said, well, let's do it. Yeah. Man, so you scooped that up cash. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. how that's impressive. I mean, to, to not have to go through the, the bank parade. And then even at that point too, there was, I would guess hardly any banks that were really specializing in this type of property where you can't build on it really. And it's not tillable. They banks, I think a lot of banks still don't understand recreational land now. So that right, uh, right. I'm sure it was a major a major advantage because even I've talked to people too, and they've bought recreational pieces in the early two thousands and they paid like 13% interest because banks mm -hmm. and, and like through a major financer, like Compere, who's like the financer for these types right. of deals. And just to see that 13% has now dropped down to like, obviously rates are really low right now, but uh, to three and a half to four and a half percent range, which is crazy. But okay. So you buy this with cash in 2007 and then, walk me through your emotions too, because like, what, what, what the, what did your wife think? What did your family think? Did they think you were crazy? Did they say, you know, you've done your homework. Is this, this is good. What do you think? Well, like I said earlier, my dad always took us camping and fishing and we were always outdoors and it, it just was always instilled in me to be outside. And, yeah. and I thought someday I'd like to really have my own place to be able to go and, and just stretch out and, the biggest, the closest thing my parents came to that was to have like a, a little lot inside of a campground, mm -hmm. which was great growing up. I mean, we thought that was the greatest thing in the world, the little trailer on it. And we yeah. go up camping and there was a big public land area with a big lake just down the road that we would hunt and fish. And, but I always thought, you know, sitting around the campfire shoulder to shoulder with the neighbors, with those yeah. trailers, it was like, ah, I kind of like to have a little more room. Mm-hmm. So, so then you ended up, so what, I guess, uh, what'd your wife think? Uh, she was kind of on the fence about it, but she's always been very supportive of all my crazy ideas. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause um, you, you own a magazine and like, uh, you've done a lot of interesting things in your career. Yeah. Aside yeah. from being a police officer, you've, you've definitely, uh, you've dabbled in a lot, which is cool and stuck with a lot of it for a long time. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. She's, she's very understanding and it's a two way street. We're a team, yeah. you know, if, if there's something that she wants to do, I'm very supportive of her, but we're both responsible. You know, mm -hmm. we don't go crazy and empty the bank account when it yeah. comes time to do something. So yeah, as long as, as long as each other's being responsible, we're, we're on board. That's cool. So what was it like writing that check? 
for that that amount of cash to scoop that up were you was it like oh my god i can't believe i'm buying i'm buying my piece of ground finally yeah yes yeah i mean that that, at that time in my life that and it still is i mean thirty thousand still a lot of money or twenty five thousand still a lot of money to me yeah but uh yeah that that was the biggest purchase besides a, a vehicle i think I can't even remember what the last truck before that would have cost. Probably around there, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. So, yeah. Wow, that's cool. So you bought that, and then how long did you own that piece? So I had that piece for four years. Four. And, and I uh, there was no uh, ingress to it, so I I put a driveway in and uh, started cutting some trail systems, cleared out some spots for food plots, and just. Mm-hmm. Little by little, improving it, making it better for the deer. Mm-hmm. How, uh, what was the hunting like on that piece? Was it, uh, was it what you thought? Was it better? Or was it worse? Yeah, it was about what I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, held quite a few does, would get some bucks cruising through it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had any big deer betting on it, mm-hmm. but uh, they would come through, you know, prime time, end of October, beginning of November. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So then you own that for four years. Why'd you sell it? So I always wanted to get something bigger. My goal at the <laughs> end was to have at least a hundred acres someday. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm it's still a lofty goal. That. Yeah. That's yes. a, that's a lofty goal. That's a, that's a lot. Absolutely. But I knew with the way the things were going with the market and, uh, they started, exploring for Marcella shale in Pennsylvania and Ohio at the time Mm -hmm. and land prices started to skyrocket based on that. So I just, uh, messing around on my own, I kind of just threw it out there on, uh, Craigslist and, uh, priced it like an absurd amount of money because seeing what some of the neighbors were getting, but yeah, Chesapeake Bay was the company that was exploring the Marcellus drilling down in that area. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the one engineer and he said, yeah, we, we've already explored your Valley and we're not going to drill there. So uh-huh. I kind of just played it cool. Cause I had the mineral rights mm-hmm. and just threw it out there to see if I could get anybody to jump on board. So, Oh, well, let me ask you this too. Okay. 2007 is when you bought it. And then we all know what happened immediately after that. Right. What, what, what was that emotion? Like, cause right now we're on a very, I mean, market is red hot. Eventually it's going to have to cool down eventually. Sure. What was that like where you're like, Oh crap, I should have waited another year. Or were you like, well, I'm, I'm here to weather this storm. I bought it for what I was comfortable with. And you know, it doesn't bother me. What, what was that like? Yeah. So at the time I, I bought what I could afford, not yeah. thinking about anything going with the market like that. And, uh, not even knowing, you know, in the future, if I'd be able to sell that and turn it into something else. So I was, I was content with it. Yeah. It, it was what I could afford and I was having a good time on it. So, but going through the, the 2008, I'd kept it until 2011. So mm-hmm. kind of just didn't worry about it because it wasn't on my mind through that downturn. And you bought a cash. So it's not like you have a payment, you have a, right, right. a great job security. They're always going to need sure. police officers. Um, so that's, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I feel like we're in a similar, I mean, I don't, no one can predict what's going to happen, but I feel that there's probably going to be eventually a pullback. But then I talk to other people and I have my own thoughts of, is it, is it time in the market or is it time in the market? And I think you hit the nail on the head of, I bought it. Um, I bought it to enjoy it. I didn't buy it to get rich. I'm just 
I want my own little corner of the earth so I can go do what I want. And that's cool to hear that that was the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people invest in land for different reasons, uh, whether it's timber value, uh, future returns on it. But yeah, that I wasn't even thinking any of that stuff. I was in my early thirties at the time and Mm -hmm. just, just enjoying it. Yes. And you were, I think I asked this on the last podcast, but you were 30 years old when you bought that first piece. Correct. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So you posted on Craigslist and the company says they're not interested. What, what ended up, what ended up happening then? And when you sold it? Yeah. So I had it listed on Craigslist for, I want to say something ridiculous, like 85 or 90,000. Wow. It was like uh 3,500 an acre or something, just throwing it out there. Yeah. And this guy called me and said, would you take 75,000 for it? I said, absolutely. Sight unseen. I'm like, do you, you want to go yeah. look? He goes, he goes, nope, I'm interested in the mineral rights and I'm interested in this, that, and the other thing. He says, uh, I'll have my attorney contact you. And wow. Away it went. Holy cow. So you tripled your money in four in years. In four years. Wow. And straight cash. You didn't have to pay interest. You didn't, you weren't servicing debt. That is just straight money. So did you did you end up doing a 1031 exchange into your next property or did you just pay the taxes or did you have uh have losses on it? Yeah, I had some losses on it. Yeah. Cause I knew you put in a road, you put in equipment right, and you did right. those things. So yeah. Yep. Um, which is important. And, and I think it, that brings up an important point to document those items too. So when you go to do something like this, you're not paying capital gains on, you know, however much money it is, you can show those improvements and and have that deduction. I'm not an accountant either. So just, uh, <laughs> just to keep that, <laughs> keep that in mind too, but, and I know and a 1031 exchange too is a, is a great thing there too, but I know you have to have income on it too. So if you weren't running cash, running it, or you weren't leasing it, or you weren't doing anything else, then a 1031 may, may have been a little bit more of a hurdle too. But so sure, you ended up selling it to this guy sight unseen uh, with a little bit of a crazy market, which is, that's so cool to hear that you, that's, I mean, that's a pretty big break. So then you sold that 25 acre parcel for three times what you paid for it. Then, uh, how long were you shopping until you ended up buying your next piece? So it took me two years to find my next wow. piece because I was being very picky. Sure. And I was still trying to stay on budget with what I had. I didn't want to take any more loans out. I was trying to use the proceeds of what I got from the last one. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't until 2013 when I found that 40 acres up in Northeast Ohio. You buy that cash too? I did. Man, holy cow, man. Okay. Wow. Okay. So if you were picky for two years, what made you pull the trigger on that piece? Well, I had it stuck in my head that I wanted something in farm country. Yeah. And this, this part of uh, Northeast Ohio around Pymatuning Lake, there's a lot of corn and soybean farms, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of flat ground, not, not very much uh, topography, but uh, just beautiful country. I, I, I like the location. It was within an hour and a half of home mm-hmm. and uh, the big lake there for recreation to do some fishing and, and, and some other things. So yeah, just walking it. I mean, I had walked, gosh, I don't know how many. <laughs> in two years, but I walked out one and I'm like, this is it. I, I got to make this happen. That's cool. Cause I, I totally know what you mean when you walk a piece 
And it's like, this is it. And I've experienced it on pieces I'm helping clients or I've had it happen personally. And then I've seen it happen to other clients too, where we're walking a piece and they're like, oh my gosh, this is it. And I mean, it's not up to me to decide what, what that is for someone, but it's, it's crazy. It's like, when you know, you know, like this is, right. you, you get the, the big buck juju or you get like the warm and fuzzies or whatever you want to say, like, this is it. So you bought that in 2013, you shop for two years. Was that listed with an agent or how'd you find that? Was it just, uh, cause actually, which is interesting too, 2007 to 2013 is kind of, uh, when a lot of these things started to emerge, obviously they weren't full adoption, but Zillow was a thing. Realtor was a thing. Realtor.com. I'm sure landwatch.com was a thing. So how'd you find it? Yeah. So I actually found this piece. Uh, I don't know if you would familiar with Bruner land company. They they buy a lot of properties in uh, Northeast Ohio and Eastern Mm -hmm. Ohio. Uh, What they do is they buy like super large parcels, maybe like a 500 or thousand acre farm and they'll break it up into 40 acre blocks. Mm -hmm. And then they'll, they'll hold the uh, financing on it they'll do an owner finance and charge somebody 10%. So that's how they, they get their returns on it. I'm sure that's been lucrative for them. Absolutely. Because yeah, when, yeah once you get up to, to where like a 25 acre parcel, 40 acre parcel, 60 acre parcel, that is something that a solo person can realistically afford if, if they prioritize it, but not too many people, you know, can go buy a 500 acre farm. Right. So then it limits that and you're able to get a better deal. So you have a better price entry. And then when you sell smaller pieces, you can charge more and then 10% on uh, the owner financing. Oh man, they, uh, I'm sure they've done really well for themselves. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay. So you, you ended up buying it from them. What was it like having more neighbors? And cause I guess I would assume that you know, it was, uh, from a bigger chunk. And then what happened kind of, uh, in the neighborhood there as they sold off more parcels. So I bought the very furthest, uh, have been the Southeast 40 acre piece of the, of the bigger farm. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was nobody next to me to the West and there was nobody to the North of me at the time. So uh-huh. I kind of had my, my choice. I think the only one that was sold was the 60 acre to the far West. Okay. Got it. And this, just to reiterate, this is a 40, 48 acre farm. And then if you don't mind, what did you buy it for? So they had it listed for, I think 65 or 68,000. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting it for about 58 cash. It's funny when you have cash, the, the conversation sometimes goes a little bit differently too. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've written cash offers for people and they get a lot better deal than uh, someone that doesn't have cash because as a seller, they don't have to do, they don't have to deal with all the crap. They don't have to wait on an appraisal. And then you get a rogue appraiser in there that says it's only worth X. And then you're renegotiating of, uh, trying to get the price reduction to, to make the deal go through on. Yeah. Ca- cash is king for a lot of reasons and it makes the deal go smooth and quick. So that's, uh, that's interesting that you were able to leverage that into two things. I know personally, uh, I would have wanted to take the proceeds and try to leverage it, but that just might be the point of that. I'm in my life or maybe a, a consumer behavior thing, but it's super inspiring to hear that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it takes some discipline, but you know, in the same token, I'm fortunate. My wife's a teacher. She has a pretty decent income and, yeah. and we've been blessed with some, with some good decisions financially and yeah. respond being responsible. So it's it, funny it teachers are, I wish I had the list in front of me, but teachers are actually uh, some of the most self-made millionaires um, out of all That's professions. 
out of all professions, like engineering, attorney, doctor, all of them. Teachers are, I want to say, within the top five. And it's wow. because it's up partially, I would say, it's because of the retirement plan that um, schools uh, implement. Oh, yeah. And so that's huge. And then I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it is. Was her, was her parents teachers or was she like a first generation teacher? No, her father was a teacher. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then he, he taught uh, history for a while and then he became a, a guidance counselor towards the end of his career. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and it's so, yeah, that's, I find that fascinating too, because a lot of times those multi-generation teachers, like they're, they grew up in a teaching household and obviously, I mean, you have to be financially disciplined as a teacher. And I think that is instilled in their, their children. And then obviously trickles down, but that's uh, that's cool on a, and to put this in perspective of a police officer's income and a teacher income, it's not like you guys had giant incomes and everything else. It was just came down to discipline. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, living, living comfortably, but not, you know, we're not pulling in, you know, doctor money. Yeah. If, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, no. Yeah. That, I mean, that just puts into perspective. It's like, if I was listening to this and I said, okay, you know, this, they were able to prioritize. They didn't have a giant income. They like, they were just disciplined. Like that's all it comes down. This is a priority to you guys. Obviously I'm sure she has things that she wanted to like, you know, this was your thing. You guys agreed on it. And uh, it was probably an easier conversation when you were at the kitchen table. Like, yeah, we just sold that for three times <laughs> of what yeah. we bought it for four yeah. years ago. Makes the second conversation a little easier. Yeah. So I come from a construction background. My grandfather built houses and my dad does, uh, did remodeling. Uh-huh. And um, we built this house that I'm sitting in, in 1998 for uh-huh. probably a third of what it would have cost us to buy it. So yeah, got a little bit of experience in in buying some land and doing things our own way. So mm-hmm. saves saves a lot of money that way. So our we didn't have that big mortgage hanging over our necks either mm-hmm. for the last that, twenty years. That's that's very interesting. I'm trying to pull up this uh, this stat too because I want to say like handyman slash uh, builders too, or is another top uh, like self made. Uh, oh yeah, uh, millionaire there too because they have the work ethic and then. It's it's a lot different when you're uh, trying to feed your family and you're dependent on working, not just collecting a paycheck. So absolutely. That's really cool. So you bought that piece in 2013. How did uh, you sold this recently? Didn't you? Or no? Sold it last October. Yes. So, and this was probably when you got, I'm sure you always had an interest in land management, but tell us a little bit about that evolution too. So you, you had your 25, you did, you improved it to what you could and then by this 40, it's a little bit bigger. 15 acres is a lot more. Oh, what yeah. did that look like? Well, I was doing food plots on my 25 acres with a craftsman lawn tractor and a tow behind tiller. So that was probably maybe doing maybe half of an acre or, or an acre worth of food plots at the most. Mm-hmm. So going up to this uh, place that was probably, I guess it was probably... Let me think of what the breakdown was acreage wise. I think we were looking at like 15 acres of tillable and wow. 25 acres of woods. So nice mix. I wanted to, I wanted to put some more tillable in into food plots. So I ended up buying a bigger tractor, bigger mm-hmm. tiller, bigger things like that. Interesting. So did you cash rent some of that tillable? To a farmer, I did. Yeah, I did it when I first the first year I bought it. I'd gotten a hold of a local guy 
that uh, one of the neighbors told me about. Mm-hmm. And he ended up buying the farm that was available to my west. Interesting. Because because all the tillable was along the road there on the mm-hmm. road frontage. And he didn't he didn't hunt and he didn't have anybody in his family that hunted. So we kind of had a gentleman's agreement that I could hunt there and well wow. he'd pay me so much for cash rent and it worked out pretty well. Yeah. How big was that piece? That was they, 40 also. Wow. So you're 40 hunted like it was 80 and then you right. got a little income off the cash rent too. That's a good formula. Sure. Yes. So, okay. So you owned it from 2013 to 2020 or 21. When did you say you sold it again? 20. Yeah. 20. Seven years. I had it. Seven years. Did you get the seven year itch and want to go on to something different or <laughs> what happened there? Well, I don't, I don't want to bash individuals too bad on here, but the neighbors, sure. neighbors were quite a problem. Okay. What, that, that wasn't the final determination of, of cashing out, but that was, mm-hmm. that was a big factor. Were, were they just disrespectful or not on the same management plan or, and you can get in, you can share what you want. Yeah, both. I mean, mm-hmm. never, never to my face, always, always respectful to my face. And mm-hmm. I, I actually went over and, and helped the guy out as much as I could when I was mm-hmm. there, but uh, just not respecting the the boundaries and uh, you know th- they would have people hunting and they would be in th- the guy next to me the farmer's name was brian also mm-hmm. they would treat his property like it was theirs and they would come on to my property i could mm-hmm. see boot tracks and and see different things going on yeah and and, and one of my buddies was up there hunting a couple of years back in the back thicket and a couple of guys came through pushing and uh it, it was just tough to keep it under control yeah. And, and that's kind of, it's supposed to be kind of your happy place. And then you go there and you're dealing with headaches and it's like, right, why am, why right. am I, why am I doing this? Why am I putting up with this? So you ended up listing, did you, did you sell this one by yourself too? Or did you list it? No, I didn't sell this one by myself. Uh, what had happened was the, the land values up there had started to creep up pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, I just figured I'd test the market kind of thinking in the back of my head that I'm, I'm still chasing that hundred acres. Yeah. You know, I'm, I might have the opportunity to flip this into something bigger. So mm-hmm. got to talking with an agent and, uh, ended up listing it with, uh, Mossy Oak properties mm-hmm. and, uh, it's COVID kind of put the brakes on a lot of things. Cause we just got it listed. I think right when that started. Oh, wow. So I, th- so I think people were kind of hesitant to, you know, go out and walk it with an agent and all that stuff. But, uh, yep. took a few months, but we ended up getting what we wanted for it. Awesome. So did, how many, uh, did you just, did you know that agent or did you interview some or tell me a little bit about that process? I'm curious as an agent myself. Sure. So, uh, Eric long, he's a, uh, habitat manager. He owns drumming log wildlife management. Mm-hmm. He did a, uh, wildlife habitat plan for my farm. Okay. He actually, he actually did a plan for a buddy of mine down in, uh, Columbiana County, which is South of Ashtabula. And, uh, he recommended, he says, Hey, I had this guy, Eric come out and he was killing one sixties on, on 60 acre property every year. Wow. And I'm like, what, what the heck are you doing here, man? I got to figure out your secret (laughs) sauce. Yeah. So he recommended Eric and I had Eric come out and, uh, you know, when you become a client of Eric's, you end up becoming a really good friend of his. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in touch and I ran into him either at the ATA or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I'm thinking about listening. The prices are getting pretty crazy. And he said, you know, I just got uh, 
my license with Mossy Oak Properties. And if you ever think about it, give me a call. And I trusted him and yeah, uh, it, it worked out really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Having uh, having trust or some sort of previous working relationship is, uh, I'm sure, much more comfortable than someone that uh, you got a mailer or something along those lines and you don't really know them. And um, I feel... I feel anyone worth their salt would be happy to provide plenty of rep- recommendations uh, of this past clients. Hey, call any of these people and uh, no, you can, uh, uh, they can share what they thought. But so yeah, you sold that. So you had it listed roughly in March. You probably sold it midsummer or late or early or late summer. Yeah. Early I, th- fall. I think, I think we came to term somewhere around the end of the summer, but we didn't close till like October. Sure. Because, dude, it's same thing with the COVID. The, a lot of the closings oh were gosh. backed up for 60 days and things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, in this county, uh, during that time, there was only one person in the entire county that could go in and do title searches. Oh, wow. So they just, everyone just uh, funneled it to this poor woman that literally did, I don't know how many title searches. And it was like the same thing. I just got so backed up. You could only be in the courthouse for uh, like three hours during the week. It was just a mess. So I'm sure it was very similar to where you're at as well. Sure. So I'm glad that's in the past now. <laughs> oh yeah. So, okay. So you're probably in the shopping phase right now or no. Yeah. Kind of up in the air. I had a, a daughter start college mm-hmm. uh, last fall. And uh, I think our plans are going to be to end up somewhere South yeah. when we can retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, my youngest daughter's in 11th grade. So she's got about six more years before she's out of college. So starting to look at that, uh, dynamic and, and, and thinking maybe buy some property down South instead okay. of getting into another farm. So yeah, kind of up in the air right now on that. So when you say South, do you mean Florida, like South Carolina, Georgia, or it's still the, still to be determined? Yeah, probably Florida. My in-laws have been living there. They've been snowbirding for the last yeah. probably five, six years, but they bought a place in, in Naples, Florida. Okay. And we love it down there. So who knows? Yeah. You might end yeah. up down there. Interesting. Well, well, would you, uh, instead of the, I don't know what the opposite of a snowbird would be, but I assume October, November, you'd, you'd probably <laughs> yeah. find your way in the Midwest. I would assume a rut bird. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're going to chase the rut up to the, uh, to the Midwest. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Now, so you don't have to tell us, but roughly how much did you end up selling the, the 40 or are you going to say a percentage of gain or, or not say anything at all? It doesn't, just so uh, people have an idea, yeah. but if you're not comfortable saying that's okay too. No, no, it's uh, I made uh, I was hoping to make six figures on it, and mm-hmm. we got just over that. Wow, man, yeah, so hundred and sixty-six thousand we sold it for. Wow. Okay, so and I'm just gonna I'm gonna relay. So started with the twenty-five thousand dollar investment, all cash, mm-hmm. and then was it fifty-eight when you bought yes. that forty, and then from forty-eight or fifty-eight, excuse me, one sixty-six. Holy yes, cow. Sir. Let me do uh let me just run the numbers here real quick. All right, divided by So you had a 664% return roughly in 27 in 10 years. It's not too bad. Holy cow. And you got to hunt on it. And you got to hunt, you got to have your own parcel, you got to scratch that itch. Um and you, and you did all with cash. I mean, that, that is super impressive. And that's, that's something which I, I don't, that. yeah. And I'm trying to think what that, uh, 
I don't want to bore people, but I'm just trying to think of like, what would be that annual interest? I mean, roughly, I don't, it'd be like 60%. I mean, not, obviously when it compounds, it's different. So anyone that's an right, accountant right. out there, don't, don't beat me up on this, but like roughly 50%, 60% compounding interest, the real, the S and P 500 does roughly between eight, nine, 10, 11% a year. So yeah. you crush the market. You got to hunt on the ground. And I mean, that's, that's very exciting and inspiring. And then, so in and, your, and my wife is not going to ever argue with me again about investing <laughs> in real estate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. She no was like kid. what? <laughs> yeah. You made what on that? <laughs> that's so cool. Wow. That is fascinating. So you ended up doing really well. And then it's, it sets you up to either buy a place in Florida or end up buying another piece. And that's, that's awesome. So what would be a piece of advice that if someone was coming to you and say, Hey, I want to buy my first piece of ground, what would be a piece of advice that you would give them? Don't think that you have to have some picturesque place in a certain area mm -hmm. that has to have a certain amount of things on it. Just kind of, kind of look for those diamonds in the rough. Yep. And uh, I mean, for deer hunting, if, if that's what we're talking about, which most oh, yeah. of us are, yep. you know, the stuff that the deer love, it can be nasty. It can be thick. Uh, it, it could be a wide open field that nobody wants. It doesn't take very much to do some habitat changes to turn that open field into something amazing very mm -hmm. quickly. So that, that's one thing I always, I always try to tell people because I'll, I'll throw some friends some bones and say, hey, I saw this deal over here. And they're like, ah, doesn't look like that great of a, what's, are you going to build a house there or are you going there to hunt deer? Yeah, exactly. Keep, keep it simple. Yeah, that's, that's great advice because I think people, you're right. People think that it needs to check off literally every box. But in reality, it's, if your goal is to shoot big deer, then in that piece might look like crap to anyone else. Um, it might look like crap to your eyeballs, but if the big bucks are there, then that doesn't lie. And, and like you said, if it's a, could be an open field, you go in and make those improvements and a couple of years, you might have a fantastic deer hunting spot too. And you, you bought it under market value and then you're able to sell it as a legitimate, true turnkey deer farm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I think, I think with trail cameras and also just success on a farm too, I think you can tell so much better of a story about a piece of ground than what you could have pre trail cameras. How would you tell someone like, Oh yeah, there's big deer here this time. And then, you know, maybe you have a couple harvest pictures, but now it's like, you can show the age structure in the area. You can show that you're holding deer during season and early season during the oh, rut yeah. and late season. I mean, to me, you can, for someone that's buying it for deer hunting, you can do such a good job to really provide some comfort and, a true insight of what's going on. Yeah. And with, with the internet, how it's advanced today for real estate and the drones mm -hmm. and the things and the things that guys like you and your agencies and other agencies do today, man, I was looking at my property, <laughs> like whose property is this? Oh, wait, that's my listing. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And then I'm sure you had a bunch of trail camera pictures and right, everything right. else. I mean, it just helps really show how awesome a piece is and I mean, Absolutely. it's an emotional business. I mean, whether everyone wants to say like, oh, it's just cut and dry, it's dirt, or it's just this, or there's a lot of emotions. There was emotions for you to sell it, I'm sure. And there was a lot of emotions to whoever bought it. And they were probably so excited to get a piece with deer on it. And you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was like, man, do I really, do I really, really want to sell this? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> like, I'm sure those cross your mind. Yeah. Especially when you own it for 
you know, a period of years where you put a lot of blood and sweat into that dirt that you bought. Yeah. yeah you can remember it when it a was, piece of you. yeah, you can remember when it was not the way it was. And then, right. yeah, that's uh that's a very good point. So any other key pieces of advice that you would suggest the vehicle one, I think is a very good piece of advice as well that we kind of touched on the beginning. Yeah. Just, just stay disciplined. Uh, yeah. Figure out, figure out what's important to you. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to get caught up in, and even, even little things going beyond vehicles. Like, and, it, and I'm sure people know all this stuff, Yeah, you know, eat, eating out is very expensive. If mm-hmm. you go to work and you buy lunch every day, add that up what you're spending a month. Yeah. If you're, if you're smoking or buying coffee every day at Starbucks, that stuff, yeah. you can come up with thousands of dollars that you didn't realize you were even spending. Yep. I, it's, it all comes down to prioritizing. How bad do you want Absolutely. it? Yeah. That's, that's great. Okay. What, um, what was one resource that helped you the most along the way? Was it the gentleman that you hunted the least with? And he said, yeah, I think you should try to do this. Or was it a book? Was it, I guess, what was one lesson along the way that really stuck with you or one person? Just don't give up on yeah. your goal. If, if you, this is something that you really love, whether it's getting your own piece of property or, or whatever other goals you have in life, just, just stay focused. And if you want it bad enough, you can have it. I mean, there's yeah. obviously limitations to things that we can do in life. I'm never going to take a space shuttle into space, but you know, realistic goals you can achieve if you, if you stay with your nose to the grindstone. Yeah. I mean, look at you. I mean, you went from, from 25 to 40, a good 40, right? And then yep. was, what was the last farm was a 42? Or was it 60? No, it was 40. Okay. It was a 40 as well. Mm-hmm. And then you, the, you did all that with cash. If you wanted to leverage and buy a hundred acre farm to say you bought one, you could have easily leveraged that and got a loan if you wanted to. Yeah, for sure. So for it was, sure. it was sticking to your principles as well and your guys' comfort zone. So that's, right. that's important right. as well. Okay. So this is a question I always try to ask people, especially with this series. And it's interesting. What will this, will that be the last piece of ground that you ever bought? You think if you go to Florida or do you think you're going to get the bug and you're going to like, oh, I need a place to, I need a camper and uh, an 80 <laughs> to come yeah. back to. <laughs> I really like shooting wild boars down in Florida. So really? Okay. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's going to be a piece somewhere not far from wherever we end up. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, I tell you what, I really enjoyed this. Um, for people to find your guys's projects, I know you guys have the Habitat podcast, and then you guys do uh, land consultations as well in person and um, over the phone. And then you kind of serve the Eastern market. But if there's anything else you want to share or plug, feel free to do it. Yeah, appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Jake. It's a good time talking to you always. Yeah, it was fun. I I knew you like I knew you had previous history in this, but I didn't realize uh, the cash thing is extremely fascinating to me. And then just like, that's cool. It has me fired up. All right. Yeah. So the best place to go for uh, anything we're doing with the Habitat podcast is uh, our website, habitatpodcast.com. We're on uh, Instagram, Facebook. We've got a YouTube channel. Just type in Habitat podcast. No problem finding us anywhere. And our podcasts are available anywhere you can get podcasts, Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, all the big ones out there. Yeah. I just listened to the episode you guys did with Don Higgins. That was a interesting conversation. You guys do a really good job of um, talking to people that have already done a lot of podcasts, but getting different information out of them, especially in the context of Habitat. So um, it's definitely worth going over and listening to the plethora of, of guests and information you have over there. 
Yeah, appreciate that. And anybody listening that picks up a piece of ground or if you have one now that you need some help with uh, a habitat plan, we offer that service also. You can find that on our website. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly link to that. I'm not going to take any more of your time here. It's 530 on a Friday afternoon, so I'm sure uh, you have better plans. <laughs> so let it, I'm going to wrap it up here. All right, Jake. I appreciate it. All right, folks, there you have it. Just want to say thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Land Podcast. And also thank you to Brian for hopping on here. Also, hope you guys had a fantastic 4th of July weekend, had the opportunity to spend some time with your family, do a little relaxing, maybe a little grilling. And just want to say thanks to everyone for their service. And next Monday, we're going to be having you guys a fresh episode. One last reminder. If you want to get the free book or anything else of that nature, head over to the resource link tree and you can check out all of that there. So anyways, until next time, see you guys.